Hi, I'm KS Garner, and you're listening to the Solo Network Podcast. Today, I'll be speaking with Rob Norman, the creator and writer behind the graphic novel, The Future Favors the Bold, now live on Kickstarter until October 27th. Welcome, Rob. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for joining us today and reaching out all the way from what, Toronto, Canada. That's, That's right. Yeah. I was like, where did he even come from? I don't even know. But then you told me he went down a rabbit hole on Twitter. And mm-hmm. thanks for, like I said, th- thanks again for reaching out. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. <laughs> but um, outside my introduction, who is Rob Norman in his own words? Oh, my gosh. That's a big question. Um, so for the most part, people know me as an improviser. I work at the Second City Theater here in Toronto, so I do a lot of comedy. Um, more recently, I started doing podcasts with the CBC, which is like our NPR. And so I make two podcasts, um, one which is called Personal Best, which is a self-help podcast for people who hate self-help. So we take people's small little problems that are bothering them, and then we take them through a whole self-improvement journey. And then the other podcast I made with CBC was called Limited Capacity, which was like a fiction podcast. It was kind of like Black Mirror for your ears. So I'm, I do improv, I do radio, and now I'm doing graphic novels. So how did you get into graphic novels? Um, I play a really dark game with myself. Which is, if you were going to die in a year, what would be the things that you would do? And anytime I feel like I've lost focus or I'm unhappy, I play that game. And I did this in 2014. I wanted to write an improv book, and that was the only way I, I was able to do it. I had to like put myself into this kind of moment of existential dread and just go, ooh, if this is what I want out of life, I have to go make that thing happen. And writing a graphic novel was one of those things on my bucket list. So I jumped in and whoo, as you as you know, it's um it's uh challenging. It's a challenging landscape to enter into if you're new to it. Mm-hmm. We'll get into that later. But um what is the future favors the bold graphic novel about? Sure. So it's a utopian future where everyone's happy. There's no violent thought. There's no greed. There's no money. Everything seems to go great until um, a bunch of these explorers find this old abandoned prison planet. It's been missing for 400 years, and on this planet is full of all of these prisoners. And they reach out trying to help them, but it turns out that these prisoners are holding something very, very dangerous to the utopian galaxy which is uncivilized thought. And so it's a planet of serial killers, psycho killers who end up destroying utopia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I read a little bit that you gave me and I'm, I'm thinking, I guess it's going to be explained at some point. Um, I was interested in like, how are they like procreating? Because I was thinking, okay, I don't know if you're familiar with Rick and Morty. And then when they went to the, I think it was the planet with only women on it. And the way that they would procreate is that they would send a sex robot out, sex robot out to where the men were, and the men were like very uncivilized, very violent, and the men would have sex with the sex robot. So that's how they got their sperm, and then <laughs> would um, take it. And if it only had to be girls, and if they were boys, they would send them back out with the men. So I'm thinking with this very uncivilized, uh, violent prison planet how was like procreating how did that work you know again I, I, that's just an initial thought because i know one of them one of the prisoners is supposed to be like a teenage girl I'm like how did that end up working how did she end up joining their crew but 
like I said, you'll probably end up like explaining it at some point. I hope I didn't spoil too much. No, no, no. This is a big uh, problem in the the book. So because it's a planet full of um, psychopaths, they have very low sex drives. So that's a big problem with their planet. They're all dying out because oh. nobody is interested in procreating. The planet also, the reason why it's been missing for 400 years, it's it's spiraled through these different kind of dimensions. It's kind of a, a cosmic gateway. So it actually left this universe and went to a bunch of different universes along the way. So this pa planet kind of snowball collected all of these people, um, each who have their own kind of issues, let's call them that, and then now they're returning back to this galaxy after 400 years. Oh, wow. Okay. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. um, so what, I guess, inspired uh, the future favors the bold? And with those same inspirations, how are you able to maintain that this is your story alongside those influences? That's a great question. Yeah. So, I mean, like, like, obviously there would be a lot of science fiction that you would probably see some references to Star Trek Next Generation being a huge part of that Star Wars, Judge Dredd. Those are just things that I just love. But when we talk about kind of where inspiration comes from, I don't know if this is true for other writers, but I can't really explain it. I was mm -hmm. flying back from Mexico and I was just drawing in my book and I drew this gruesome dude who said, welcome to our planet full of serial killers and that was the first idea and it didn't honestly it didn't really feel like my idea it felt like it came from somewhere else and so I have a lot of those ideas and and usually only when I sit down to write them I will know if it's a viable idea or not and this was an idea that as soon as I was writing it I was laughing and I was so excited to share it with everyone so this was an idea that kind of bore some fruit but I would say the way that this story ends up being my own is I think this is partly from working at Second City. There's a huge satirical element, and that's kind of what we do at Second City. Um, it's a it's the largest theater in North America that's dedicated to um, social and political satire. It's where a lot of people from Saturday Night Live come from. So everything that I do, I can't help but make it a little bit political, and I can't help but make it a little bit funny. And so a lot of the source material is kind of changed, I think, by that, just from my experience of living in the world and interacting with those references. Mm -hmm. um, so you mentioned before how, like, that you felt like the idea wasn't even yours. Um, yeah, that's just that's something with a lot of writers I know with me, at least. I mean, a lot of times when I'm writing a story that has multiple characters, I remember somebody posted one time that um, they don't really create uh scenarios or scenes with their characters it's more like she's just you know reciting an incident report that's pretty much what it is that's how mm -hmm. stuff works out like they're telling her how the scene is going to go or like what kind of what direction the dialogue is going to go in and things like that it's like i'm not this is not me writing it this is them telling me what's going on in the scene so Maybe this idea, this random person just came to your head and they were telling you, this is what I look like. So, I, I went to go see a talk with William Gibson who wrote Neuromancer and someone was asking about the last chapter of Neuromancer. And if you've read it recently, you know, it's almost like the whole narrative kind of falls apart. And they're like, why did you do that? And his response was, um, I don't know. I'm like a radio antenna. It's being sent to me from somewhere else. And... Um, not a huge William Gibson fan, not a, not a huge fan of Neuromancer, but that stuck with me, thinking about the idea that you're just a kind of 
antenna receiving a message from some somewhere else mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's another good analogy um <laughs> but being the creator and writer how was your process for selecting your collaborators and how did you know that they were the right people to work with oh my gosh this is the hardest part about dropping into this industry because you don't know anyone mm-hmm. it you're showing up and you're going okay well there's thousands and thousands of artists on Twitter, on Facebook, all with portfolios. They all have different prices. You're not sure who is within, who's a person that you could actually get and who's outside of your reach. Like you don't know any of those things. One advantage that I had was I went to art school. So um, uh, I, I knew a little bit about art and I knew a little bit about what I wanted this book to look like. But if you didn't really have a kind of grasp of that fundamentals, I think it would be really, really challenging. I mean, my best piece of advice is just find the books that you love and then find someone that draws in that style. Um, But the people who I did end up with was this guy named CJ Camba, who I really, really loved. Um, He's very clean lines. And some my two favorite artists would be uh, Mike Alred, who does Ecstatics and... uh, a whole bunch of other books that you would know. Silver Surfer, he did a great run on Silver Surfer. And then Adrian Tomine, who does um, Optic Nerve and Summer Blonde, a lot of stuff from Drawn and Quarterly. And um, I felt like his style was was very similar in that way. This is a book that has a lot of blood and guts, but it's also a funny book. So I really like the idea of kind of having a pop art element to it. Um, as for covers... There's a guy named Ty Templeton here in Toronto. He does Batman Adventures. He's done some um, Simpsons stuff. Um, and so he was a person I reached out to, and he was very generous to do an alternate cover for us. And the other cover artist was a guy named um, Charlie Gillespie. Growing up, Magic the Gathering was like my favorite thing in the whole world. And mm-hmm. my favorite card was a card called Living Death. And it's just a picture of a bunch of um, zombies burying a human person alive. And it was my favorite card. I lost as a child. I was heartbroken. And so when I was looking through cover artists, I found this guy with the same name who drew my favorite card. And I reached out to him. I was like, would you like to do a cover? And he was like, yeah. And it was the same guy. So it's like, it's like my graphic novel has my favorite magic card on the front of it, which is Uh incredible. Dream come true. true. Yeah, it's meant to be. But um, with everything that you've learned while creating this graphic novel, what advice would you offer to other creators you wish someone would have told you when you first started? Yeah, I mean, I I feel like the the biggest obstacle that you're going to have as a writer is just financing the thing. Mm-hmm. I was lucky that I had a little bit of savings that I was able to pay all of the artists their full page rates. And so that made my job a lot easier. But I do see people on message boards or in groups asking people to collaborate, asking artists to collaborate, and that becomes really, really hard. I probably spent more on this book than a sane person would, but um, uh, it was a bucket list thing, so it made sense for me. But I would just say make a clear budget of what you can afford and work backwards from there. Um, There are a lot of great very simple black and white ash can comics that do very, very well that you don't necessarily have to have a book that looks like Marvel or DC. And, and even if you do have unlimited resources, you can make bad choices in something like the wrong artist, the wrong colorist, the wrong letterer, the wrong paper quality that 
creates a product that's slightly worse than those. And at that point, it doesn't matter how much money you've invested. So there's a, there's a lot of ways that this in this process, it can go wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, so how did you, I guess, how did you avoid all those wrongs? You know, or how many did you make before you made the right decision? <laughs> um, well, this book took a long time. It's probably been five years in the making. So mm-hmm. prior to COVID, all the way through COVID, still working on this book. Um, what would be the things that I, I would avoid? I mean, all the mistakes I made, um, I would make them again, because this was part of the learning process of, of making this book. You would think that if you're a writer, then anything that has to do with the written word kind of carries over and just not true at all. Like, like writing a script for an audio fiction series could not be farther away from writing a graphic novel. Because in, in audio fiction, you're only writing stuff that people can hear. And in a graphic novel, you're really only writing things that people can see and maybe a little bit of dialogue. But for the most part, the, the panel has to tell all of the story. So I, I don't know if I would go back and change anything. Um, and I'm sure anyone else who's going through this process would probably have different things that they messed up they had, that they had to go back and fix again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, outside of working on The Future Favors the Bold, how well do you find balance for your life? And how do you typically manage your mental well-being when you become stressed, frustrated, or overwhelmed? This is a great question. I have no balance in my life. There's no <laughs> balance. There's work, and then there's a, a little bit of other me time. Mm-hmm. Um. I mean, the, the thing that I'm I'm really lucky about is that all of the things that I do for work are really fun, mm-hmm. like teaching improv, doing improv shows, going on tours, making radio shows, talking with you. Like, these are all really fun things to do. So I don't mind working, I don't know, 14-hour days sometimes. Um, but I would say for me, the the balance comes from trying to make sure in my personal life that people around me feel seen. That's the hard thing for me because I could live inside my head every day, all day and be very happy in there. It's really important that I remind myself that while I'm in my head, all the people I love around me are just watching me, you know, look at a computer screen or drawing on a drawing in a book or something. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, that's the hard thing for me is kind of making sure that people feel seen and heard around me. Yeah, I think my problem is I forget that people can see me. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was like, oh my god, people like I'm. So like I'm in a I'm in a play, and they mm-hmm. take a lot of photos, like behind the scenes photos, and like I'm in my head, so I'm like, I don't don't even see the cameras, and I always forget. And I see how I look. I was like, oh my god, mm-hmm. that's how I look. Or people people can actually see me, so they because yeah. they would like react to me, or like I might have like rusting bitch face or something, and I'm just like, I'm happy to be here. It's just. I'm sitting here and I forget that other people are around me and that they can see me. <laughs> Would you say you're an introvert? Uh, yeah, I say well, I'm an introvert. I mean, I I think I've gotten better at being a people person when I need to be because mm-hmm. of the podcast, because of talking to people multiple times a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, like before that, before like 2019, I would have never have ever said anything like that. But yeah, like I said, I just kind of like, forget a lot of times even if i'm not listening to music i just 
forget that people can see me. <laughs> like people can perceive me. <laughs> I think you're like me. Like anytime you're an like I'm an introvert, but I have a lot of jobs that are in front of a camera or performative. And um, people just assume that I enjoy all of that experience. And I do like it a lot, but um, there are other people who really love being around people who really like soak it all in. And that's definitely not me. It's like, oh, cool. We're all talking. That's awesome. I'm going to leave and go stand in the bathroom for 10 minutes and just recharge and then come back out and talk to you. Um, so I think that's confusing for a lot of people. I think they assume if you're an introvert, you're always inside with your cardigans drinking tea. <laughs> I mean, I would prefer that, but Me too. you know. Me too. <laughs> uh, well, is there anything else that you wanted to touch on about the future favors the bold? Um, maybe you talk about the Kickstarter, like the uh, rewards for potential backers. Yeah, so um, we've launched our Kickstarter. I got good news. We're funded. We were funded Yay! in the first three hours, um, and within twenty-four hours, we're now double of what our original goal was. And so we're on this big journey now of seeing like what we can provide by a stretch goals. One of the challenges too with a book like this is we, we paid everybody up front. So all of the costs are already, already taken care of. But one thing I'm looking to do is figure out if, if there is some sort of money that we're making, can we create more content before we launch? So uh, could that be an extra story? Um, could it be, I don't know, extra merch? So we're figuring that all out right now, and I'm hoping we're able to really blow people away with the extra stuff that we add to the campaign. Mm -hmm, cool. So where can people find you online, and are there any other projects that you wanted to discuss that may be coming up, or like a show that you want to push or anything like that as well? Um, well, I'm working on season three of Personal Best, which is the self-help podcast that will come out in February 2024. Um, but right now the main focus is, um, uh, the Kickstarter. So you could just go to Kickstarter and write future favors, the bold, you would find it. Or if that's too much for you to remember, um, we have a shorter website, which is inked.pub slash tales of the bold. I don't know if that's easy to remember or not, but those are the two options of how you can find the Kickstarter and you can come and, um, see all the stuff that we've been doing. Uh, and do you have any uh, active socials or anything oh, like that? Yes. <laughs> if you'd like me, if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, you can watch me plug my Kickstarter 24 hours a day. That's what you get if you come visit me at um, at Rob the Norman. That's for Twitter and Instagram. Again, it's just more pit. You might as well just go to my Kickstarter because really my Twitter and Instagram are just my Kickstarter now. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. Well, Again, I want to thank Rob Norman, the creator and writer behind the graphic novel, The Future Favors the Bold, for joining us here today to promote his project, which will be live on Kickstarter until October 27th. All of Rob's socials, which he just list listed, and the website, which he just said as well, will be listed in this uh, episode's details alongside a Kickstarter link for those who are interested. Again, I'm K.S. Garner, and you've been listening to the Solo Numbered Podcast. Thank you. This was so nice.